Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of August 21st, 2022 from Pastor Brett Cottrell. They tried to reboot that idea. Some of you may remember that. And uh, those of you who remember, do you remember the catchphrase of the show Get Smart? Does anybody want to try to do it? Missed it by that much. And I'm not going to try to do the accent because it's about, it just sounds bad if I try. As we come to chapter 3, it could be said of Nebuchadnezzar that he missed it by, well, that much. If you remember last week, we saw, uh, the last couple of weeks, we saw Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in that dream, he had this uh, vision of a statue, this gold, this, the top of it was gold and it was silver and bronze. And Daniel, through the work of God, gave Nebuchadnezzar this incredible war, this incredible glimpse into the future. But it appears that Nebuchadnezzar didn't quite get it. Because even though God told through Daniel, he told Nebuchadnezzar that, less, yes, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are at the top of the statue, you are the head of gold, he didn't hear anything else. And in chapter 3, and there's every reason to believe that these events in chapters 2 and chapter 3 happened fairly close together, it appears that Nebuchadnezzar heard, ooh, I'm gold. And he built a giant golden statue, as opposed to getting what God was really saying about that dream. So that's where we're going to begin this morning, Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. The satraps, prefects, and governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the harp, the, or the horn, the flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning and look at this passage, would you communicate to us from these events from 2,500 years ago the truths that we need to be your people here today and this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we hear the word idolatry, we probably think about stories like this one. When we, hear the, when we hear this idea of idolatry, we probably think of some statue, some object, some picture, some image that people are bowing down to, that they give their allegiance to, that they're perhaps even making a sacrifice towards. People, by the way, have been worshiping idols for a long time. 
we're going to look at that this morning, but the idea that people don't worship idols anymore is, is not true. Our idols just look differently. Uh, just a, a few weeks ago, Angel and I were watching a, a show on TV, and it was just talking about things, and it was, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a random show, and they were talking about the rise of the sneaker industry. Now, uh, one of the jobs I had in college, I worked at a sporting goods store, and I was working in the shoe department. And um, at that point in time, this will tell you when this was, the Nike Air Jordan was a relatively new shoe. That'll tell you how long ago that was. And shoes were just becoming a big deal. Do you realize that today there's actually something called SneakerCon? It is a national convention. And all they do is sell, you guessed it, sneakers. I saw, I saw a, a little report on the sneaker con that took, took place like two or three years ago. It was in Chicago, and they were selling sneakers, tennis shoes, you know, those things you wear on your feet in the rain, for upwards of $18,000 a pair. Now, have you ever in your life thought a pair of sneakers were worth $18,000? No. I'm sorry. I don't like paying 70 bucks for a pair. We have idols today. Some of them are shaped like sneakers. <laughs> I don't get it, but you know what? I collected baseball cards when I was a kid. There are people who pay millions of dollars for baseball cards. We have things in our world and our life that we are, in fact, devoted to. From the very beginning, men like Nebuchadnezzar and even farther back than that, we know that humanity was made. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 tell us this. Humanity, human beings, man and woman, were made in the image of God. Now, there's a whole lot to explore in that concept that we don't have time to get to this morning. But in part, it means that you and I were created, made to act, to have authority, to represent God to and be a part of this natural world, to live and to do things representing Him. That's what partially it means to be made in his image, to do things in this world in such a way that God is represented. When we moved here five and a half years ago, we owned a house in Georgia. We had to sell that house. And when we did, we designated someone who, uh, we had to go through some legal documentation, and we appointed someone legally who could show up when we did sell the house, who could show up and could sign the paperwork for us so that the world would look at it and so, yes, Brett and Angela sold, sold the house, and these people signed on their behalf. They act as, as us, do what we would have done. That's how the thing takes place. Well, part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that you and I are supposed to act and represent. We are created for the purpose of being God's image, doing things he would be doing if he were here in the flesh like you and I are. We are his agents, if you will. That's part of what it means. Our, our lives are... Our actions, our words are to represent his nature, his goals, and his purposes. When Adam sinned, and Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, they exchanged God's judgment for their own. They began to, instead of living in the, the image of God, they began to serve their own interests. He put himself in the place of God, finding security and pleasure and gratification in making himself the center of the universe and not God. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says that you and I have been created for the purposes and for the glory of another, namely God Himself. 
And when Adam and Eve acted on their own against God's intentions, they misrepresented God. They denied his position as God. They elevated themselves to that role. And do you know what that's called? Idolatry. That's the short word. Whether we elevate ourselves or whether we elevate something else in the place of God, that's called idolatry. And this idea begins to get at the heart of what it means to be an idol worshiper. That we deny that we are made, that we are created for the purposes of another. That we are not the center of the universe. That our, our lives are not primarily about us. And when we find ourselves devoted to something else other than God, we are denying that He is the center of all that exists. We are denying that we are created for His purposes. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says, in describing the world in the latter days, says that humanity exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped created things rather than the Creator. And by the way, idols don't just come from outside of us like what Nebuchadnezzar built here. That's the, that's the expression of it. Idolatry, idols, come from inside of us. They begin in our very hearts. The idols that are erected out here, the statues like Nebuchadnezzar built here in Daniel chapter 3, are merely the representation, the symptom, the result of idolatry already taking place in our hearts. Idolatry, the worship of idols, is a heart condition of replacing God as the center of all things with anything else that we can come up with. Other things that our heart gravitates towards. Nebuchadnezzar built a golden statue. Maybe, it seems like it, maybe have been inspired by the statue in his dream from chapter 2. Now, we don't know what the statue actually was. We don't know if it was a representation of him. We don't know if it was a representation of the Babylonian god, which was called Bel, or something else. The Bible doesn't give us this. But whatever he did, he built this idol, and he demanded that everyone worship it, bow down to it, and give to it it's their allegiance. So idolatry as a state and a function of the heart begins with denying the Creator, denying God, denying His purposes for us, denying His place, and continues as we replace God with whatever it might be, whether it's a statue or a sneaker. Those other things begin to take our devotion. Now the struggles that led us to Daniel chapter 3 that Israel had begin and end with the idea of idolatry. We may remember that Israel finds itself in captivity in Babylon because idolatry. Because they had repeatedly over hundreds of years as a nation turned their backs from God and continued to worship idols and false gods. And God had given them warning after warning. The book of Judges. Well, actually, let's go back even further than that. I mean, just weeks after Israel has been freed from slavery in Egypt, they find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai as literally Moses is up there talking to God. And what's Israel doing at the bottom? They have made and fashioned a golden calf to worship. When they eventually do get into the nation or to, the, to Canaan, to the promised land, and after Joshua has led them through the conquest and possession of their land, we find ourselves in a history called the Era of the Judges. You see a book of the Bible called the Judges. And throughout the book of Judges, Israel goes through decade after decade, year after year of worshiping idols, enduring the punishment and the judgment of God, repenting, going back to the worship of God, and then going back to idols. Following especially the reigns of Saul and David and Solomon, Israel finds itself now a divided nation, 
constantly going back and forth and worshiping false idols to the point that God said, stop it or else I will send the Babylonians. They did not stop. And now we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 3 with a people captured and, and defeated because God sent the Babylonians because of Israel's idolatry. And here we are in Babylon and now we have a king raising up a statue. So Israel struggled with this all their life. So it's not just human beings. Israel struggled with it as well. I asked, I asked myself a question. With all that Israel had seen, with all that they had, they had encountered, all the times God had been active in their lives, why did they find themselves drawn to idolatry? The same question could be asked of us this morning. John Calvin, who was one of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation so many centuries ago, he said of the human heart that we are, in fact, idol-producing factories. That you and I are created by God, of course, to worship God, but then in replacing you know, worshiping God, we just worship anything we can get our hands on. That we are, are idol-making factories. Why is that? Well, in Israel's case, we can look at it and go, why do they find themselves so captured by by idolatry, the worship of false gods. Well, one, if you just take, if you just look at Israel's history as a people enslaved in Egypt, what were they surrounded by in Egypt constantly? Idols. In fact, you can make the argument that the nation of Israel, which primarily grew within the nation of Egypt in its early history, probably knew more about the idols than they did the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when they get out on their own for the very first time, so to speak, out there in the desert, they revert back to what they'd been surrounded by. Israel was unique in this sense. They were the only nation in that part of the world, as far as we know, that part of history in total, that worshiped one God. Everybody else, everybody else had a whole pantheon of gods. It was a God of this and a God of that, gods of rivers and gods of skies and gods of thunder and gods of lightning and gods of the crops. Every nation had all these gods, and Israel said that we have one God. Israel also was surrounded by nations that not only had multiple gods, but they had statues and temples to all these gods. And God had told Israel, don't you dare build a statue of me. I can't be represented that way. And so Israel was unique. Israel found themselves surrounded by a world and cultures Everybody had statues, everybody had idols, everybody had multiple gods, and they were unique. And you and I know it's hard to be the only one of anything, isn't it? It's hard to be the only person like you. It's hard to be the only person that holds to a unique set of beliefs when no one else around you does that. It's difficult. And so Israel found themselves surrounded by people who worshipped idols. And by the way, here's another reason I think they had trouble with that idolatry, it's easier. You know what's different about all these idols, all these false religions that Israel found themselves surrounded by? When God made a covenant with Israel, he told them, you will not, you will not have other gods, you will not make idols, you will not make any representations of me, and on top of that, he says, I'm going to give you some laws. I'm going to give you some things that will guide the way you live. And these are things I expect of you as my people. You know what all those false gods around Israel did? Not a thing. It's easy to show up however often you're false god. If you're Egyptian, if you're Canaanite, if you're Philistines, if you're the Amorites, it's easy to show up every once in a while 
do your little religious ritual, whatever it might be, and then go on about your life with no demands. That's not what God set up. God said this. He said, I have this life I want you to live to make you uniquely mine, a, a life that you will live that will represent, God said, my holiness. That's hard. Showing up once a week and doing your bit, that's easy. By the way, do, do you see this? You know, if today we claim the name of Christ and all Christianity is simply showing up once a week for a little ritual, do you see how that looks a whole lot like ancient Egyptian or ancient Roman or ancient Philistines? Idolatry is easy. So why not do it? If I can pray to the God of this and he gives me a bumper crop, if I can pray to that God over there every once in a while and he gives me kids, why wouldn't I do that without all the demands that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would make? So yeah, idolatry is easy. It's, everyone else does it. And sometimes it even looks like it works. I mean, the reality is, most people, even back then, they're going to get married, they're going to have kids, they're going to farm, they're going to do all these things. And because God's gracious, because God gives His gifts to all throughout the Scripture, we know that, that God provides food for most people through the, the natural cycles of the world. If they, if they believed in whatever God they believed in, they made their little sacrifice, and they got married and they had kids. Oh, it worked because I prayed to such and such God. So sometimes it even looks like it works. So it's easy. Everyone else does it, and sometimes it even looks like it works. So why not do that? And people of Israel found themselves struggling with that all the time. And the truth is, you and I probably do as well, without even realizing it. Sometimes we are surrounded by the world and the culture and the things that this, this world expects of us, and we're the only ones who think we believe what we believe. There's, it's hard to believe in the God of Scripture today. It's easier to do other things. It's easier to rely and depend upon other things for success or for profitability or for whatever we want to achieve in life. It's easier to do those things. They don't demand of us what God does. And sometimes it even appears that those things work for a while. So why not do that? Well, Israel struggled with all that. And so because of that, they found themselves, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they find themselves in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, and now he has built a statue, and he expects them to worship it under the threat of death. Now, idolatry goes back in human history from the very beginning. Israel struggled with it from the very beginning. And we may think to ourselves, well, what's, the, what's really the big deal here? What can even me accidentally flirting with idolatry today what's the real danger i don't mean for it to be a big deal i want to take you very quickly to psalm 115 psalm 115 gives us a warning about the effects of idolatry and they're much more subtle or much more pervasive than we might give them credit for we might think okay well we know we shouldn't worship anything other than god himself but even beyond that, there is a real danger. Psalm 115, I'm going to begin reading the very beginning. It begins like this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths. But they do not speak. 
They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them, catch this, those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. You know what the danger, one of the dangers of, of idolatry is? That we will become like what it is we're devoted to. These nations around Israel are worshiping idols that they made with their own hands. And these representations, like the, like the image that Nebuchadnezzar put up here in, ta- in Daniel 3, they had eyes and they had ears and they had hands. They had all these things, but just because they had eyes, does that mean that they can see? No. Just because they had a mouth, they can't speak. Of course not. And the point here is this, when we worship an idol, we become like the thing that we're worshiping, which means that we all of a sudden we lose our ability to hear, we lose our ability to see, we lose our ability to speak, we become hollow on the inside, we become shells, we become lifeless. When we worship lifeless things, we become lifeless. When we worship things that cannot speak, the things that cannot hear, we lose the ability to perceive and understand truth. Even today, when you and I might accidentally find ourselves worshiping something other than God, we are, at that point, harming our ability to understand and to know the truth of who God is. Whether it's sneakers, whether it's the, the newest car out there, you fill in the blank. That I, I could list you know, an infinitely long list of things that we sometimes devote ourselves to, we will become like those things, lifeless, hollow, meaningless, unable to understand and to perceive or to even speak things that are true. When we place our security, our devotion to anything, when we place our hopes in a philosophy or an idea, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar has done. He has heard the truth of God through the dream of chapter 2, and yet he has set up an idol and has denied it. If we were to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, you would see the story of the Tower of Babel. And in that story, there is a key verse that kind of initiates God's activity at the Tower of Babel where he kind of scatters them all and defeats them. And it's this, that the, the builders of the Tower of Babel said this, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. They made themselves their idol. They made themselves the center of the universe. They wanted themselves to receive credit. They wanted the world to revolve around them, if you will. They made their own comfort, their own success, their own fame, their own pleasure the most important thing to them. And by the way, we may not have idols in the sense of Nebuchadnezzar here in Daniel chapter 3, but if we have idols, there's where it's at. For so many of us, even who claim the name of Christ, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves structuring our daily routines. We can even find ourselves structuring our faith in God around ourselves. What can God do for me to make me happy? What can God do for me that will make me comfortable? What can God do for me that will entertain me, that will give me what I want? The moment we are approaching God in that way, we are already guilty of idolatry because we have made ourselves for our purposes. We have made God to suit our purposes and not us to suit His. 
and that is idolatry. Ever since Adam and Eve ate that forbidden tree, ate that tree, fruit of that forbidden tree, people have wanted to be their own gods. Independent of Him, wise in their own eyes. And we've been enslaved by that inclination. So how do we, and we're going to get to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their response to this next week, I promise you. <laughs> we're going to get to them next week. But how do we begin to defeat this tendency towards idolatry. Well, remember, at the heart of idolatry is this idea that I want to replace God as the center. I want to replace Him with myself or my comfort or some, whatever it might be. I want to replace God with something else. So how do we begin to do that? Let me suggest that one way we begin to do that is through worship. Proper worship. Worship that God is at the center of, not ourselves. I've told this story a couple times just because it's, it's so, it's, it's, it's just funny, it's sad, but it's, it's funny. I was, I, was a, I was serving as a music minister uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was, and I had a lady in the church who um, wanted to sing different songs that we were sometimes singing. And she made the comment to me, we're at a high school football game, um, and she, she comes up to me at, at the football game and says, um, there are some songs that we're not singing that I'd like us to sing. And she goes, here's my list. Here, here's, what, here's what I want us to sing on a Sunday morning. And there were some songs that, quite frankly, we just weren't going to sing. The, the doctrine in them was not very good. And she said, well, I, I, I pay a tithe. Don't I get to pick out some songs? I was like, um, that's not the way this works. Her idea was this. I gave God this. I get, then he does what I want him to do. That was her approach to faith. That is idolatry. The church and God were there to serve her, not her to serve him. When we approach worship that way, we're in trouble. But if we would, real worship is this idea that I approach God on his terms, glorifying him, telling the truth in what I do, living lives, uh, living a, a worship that speaks the truth of God's word to him and to one another. True worship gathers our attention not on ourselves, but on Him. If my attention on worship is how I feel, I am not worshiping. But if my attention is upon who God is and what He has said and what He has done, that's worship. So true worship will focus my mind on who God is and what He has done. It will draw my attention to Him and not to myself. Secondly, living lives that are other-centered. I want to take you very quickly to Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, as Paul is writing this letter to the church there in Colossae, he has earlier in the, in the chapter told them that they need to move away from certain things. And in particular, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says this, Consider therefore the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, and passion, and evil desire, and greed, which amount to idolatry. So Paul is listing this whole list of things that amount to idolatry. Now, later on in the chapter, he says this, As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart 
of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You want to know how to defeat modern idolatry? Let me just sum it up this way. Love the people around you as God has loved you. We could probably sum these things up. We could probably sum up these two ways of defeating idolatry this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You do those things that draws your attention away from your own priorities. It draws your attention away from your own comfort. It makes you no longer the center of your universe and puts everyone else there. And that will begin to defeat idolatry. So here's the invite this morning as we look at what Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar took God's word to him through the dream and through Daniel's interpretation of that dream. Nebuchadnezzar took that, missed it by that much built a statue, demanded worship of the statue. He missed God's word entirely, and he made himself. I I still think this is what happened. He had that dream, and Daniel told him, God says that that dream, there's four medals here, and Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. I don't know that Nebuchadnezzar heard anything past that. I'm the head of gold. God made me gold, and he put up an image of gold. He missed it. He took God's word and made it about himself, Nebuchadnezzar did. And so by chapter 3, he's engaging in idolatry because he thought God, he thought he was the center of the universe and not God. He missed the point. So here's the invite. To move away from the things that would center your life on yourself. Those things which are described in Colossians chapter 3 which I just read portions of to you, to center your life instead on loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. To instead focus your life upon loving those around you as yourself. This sounds a whole lot like kind of our theme verse here at First Baptist, 2 Corinthians 5.15. Preached on this a few weeks ago, a couple months ago. He, Christ, died for all, so that they who live, that's us, might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's the invitation this morning. To recognize that our own hearts, even sometimes as Christians, can produce idols. Knowing that. To worship, to love the Lord our God, and to love one another to take our attention away from those, uh, from, from ourselves, from anything we might use to put, to replace who God is, so that we will move away from being deaf and dumb and lifeless, and we will find ourselves becoming like Christ, whom we worship. You worship an idol, you become like the idol. You worship Christ, guess who you become like? Christ. That's the invitation. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you so much for the truth you give us through your word. 
Lord, we confess that perhaps even this week we have found those moments when we made ourselves the center of our universe or we replaced our devotion to you with the devotion to something else. Lord, it doesn't mean that we don't care about other things. It doesn't mean we don't spend our resources where we need to or even have a hobby or whatnot. It just simply means this. What are we devoted to? And Father, even this week we probably have found ourselves devoted to things other than you. And so even as Israel struggled with idolatry, we probably even have this last week. Lord, forgive us. May we follow the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow the knee, the knee, refused to devote themselves to the worship and the devotion of anything other than you and you alone. Forgive us, Lord, when our lives have not reflected who you are, have not been lived out as your image bearers. May we be a people moving forward today who live and act and speak truly in your name as your agents, as your representatives, as your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and sing as Bobby leads us in a time of worship with our hearts and our minds focused upon the Lord. If God's placed on your heart something that you want to respond to, maybe it's the confession of an idol. Maybe it's that you've never come to faith in Christ at all. Whatever it might be, I want to invite you to, if you want to come and talk, we'll talk right now. If you want to talk with Alan in the back, you can do that. Maybe you want to pray where you are, maybe you want to pray up here. Whatever it is, you respond as we now worship.